The reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 16, verse 6 to 10, I invite uh, your reverent hearing and hearing in faith and joy because we have God's word and uh, again, public reading and hearing of God's word from Acts chapter 16. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you think about the movement of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit is poured out. The Spirit has come. And the Spirit is uh, the divine presence with us. Uh, It is uh, an expression of the eternal covenant of redemption, uh, but it is uh, majestic in all that it means. Uh, We're not left to chance, or we're not left to wander self-directed. There are no maybes. there is simply the presence of the Spirit that is always with us, never departing. And that is expressed in the movement of the book of Acts as uh, the kingdom of God, uh, the apostles go forth advancing the geographic boundaries of that kingdom, uh, if you will, uh, as an expression of divine presence. And you and I are beneficiaries of that. Uh, and we simply pick up the charge, advancing the divine presence, expressing the greatness of the Spirit of God that is uh, with us. Uh, The form that is here in our text uh, this morning is a very intense form. But it's common to all of us as Christians. Because God is with us. Uh, And so here the Spirit intensifies His presence to direct the ministry westward. Uh, But I want to remind you again of this great uh, promise of the covenant of redemption, the divine presence. Uh, The promise God tells us repeatedly, I will be with you. Uh, For example, in Exodus chapter 3, God says to Moses, who is terrified, uh, he's been living on the backside of a mountain, Uh, I'm sure he feels anything but the divine presence. And God comes to him and says, uh, I want you to go to the court of Pharaoh, the most powerful country in the world of his day. Uh, Moses terrified. And what's God say to him? I'll be with you. Uh, We see it uh, in his uh, mentor and the one who is to uh, carry on the work of Moses in uh, Joshua. Uh, Deuteronomy 31, God promises Joshua the divine presence. Uh, Chapter 31, verse 8, 
Very, very powerful, intense words. And the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you to be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear, be dismayed. Very powerful. It's picked up again, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I've been with Moses, God says to Joshua, I'll be with you, and I will not fail you, forsake you. Very parallel to that in our lives, uh, the promises of the new Exodus, uh, the new way in Christ in uh, the prophet Isaiah 54.17, speaking to each of us who belong to the Savior. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me. What a great promise. Meaning that, I mean, you might might say, well, Moses was so special. Joshua was so special. Well, so are you. You're a child of the faith, son of God. Loved in eternity past, before the foundation of the world. Special because of the presence of God and His grace. God with us. In uh, 1 Chronicles 28, David promises his son Solomon that uh, God will be with him in the building of the temple. This God will be with you. Same promise. Moses to Joshua, really to us. I'll be with you in the building of the temple. And He will not fail you. There's a Herculean task of immense wealth to complete. Incredible marshalling of resources. I mean, he's Solomon probably breaking under the weight of it all. How does he do it? The presence of God. I would remind you that you are God's building and temple. The Apostle Paul, Apollos were fellow workers in that building. Uh, and how do they accomplish that? Presence of the Spirit. Eternal covenant of redemption. Uh, and Haggai, uh, the children of Israel, are uh, deeply discouraged in their attempts to rebuild the temple. And what does God say to them? God promises to be with them. The greater reality, of course, uh, for us is Jesus, Emmanuel, uh, God with us. Uh, Jesus departs, uh, but think of it uh, before his departure, Matthew chapter 3, uh, a dove representing a spirit comes down out of heaven and rests upon the sun. Same thing occurs reduplicated as Christ sets his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem and the cross. Uh, redemption in time, but think of it eternally. Uh, the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. Everything in the mind of God established in one momentary, unified, Trinitarian act. Making it certain because of who God is. And so, uh, this really breaks breaks upon us. Great commission. Uh, Jesus says, I'm, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. It's really nothing more than promise of the new covenant uh, foretold by the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, Marvelous uh, uh, 
promise of God where God says in His Spirit, I will put My Spirit within you. I mean, that's how you got a new heart. That's how you were regenerated. And that's what abides with you. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that we have the Spirit in our battle with the flesh. Have the Spirit and we have the divine enablement. I mean, turn with me if you would. It's just so important for us as Christians to recognize the certainty of it in our lives. Uh, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to be simply read verses, verses 10 and 11. Uh, it's very obvious in the previous verse that uh, if you're a child of the faith, you have the Spirit. All, all who know Jesus Christ have the Spirit. But, uh, but Romans chapter 8, uh, in verses 10 and 11, and if Christ is in you through the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Alive within you. Verse 11, but the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. We have the same spirit of Moses, Joshua, of Solomon standing up the temple. Same spirit. So that in all the vagaries of life, the Spirit leads us. In all the adversity of life, the Spirit leads us. Making certain uh, that we will enter the door of uh, eternal rest and heavenly glory. No chance. No maybes. God doesn't cross His fingers. He simply decrees it. The Spirit comes to effect it. And so the promise of the Spirit advances the divine presence and witness. That's really the book of Acts. That's really our calling. Uh, we are the witnesses of God. Think of it in terms of uh, a couple of incidents in Acts chapter 8, verse 29. The Spirit moves Philip to go speak to a eunuch. Philip is in one geographic location. The eunuch is going back home, having been in Jerusalem. And uh, God, God says, Philip, go, go meet the eunuch. Share the Gospel. And then... Having shared the Gospel and having baptized the eunuch, the Spirit snatches him away. The presence of the Spirit. In chapter 10, the Spirit moves Peter to go to Cornelius. Cornelius is in one location. Peter's in another. And the Spirit says, Peter arrives. Go to the house of Cornelius. Share the Gospel. And then, chapter 11, verse 44, the Spirit is poured out upon the Gentiles. That's really the reminder to us. We Certainly, early chapters of the book of Acts, we get it. He's poured out uh, a redeeming an elect remnant among Israel. But then, you know, what about the Gentiles? Well, eternally no mystery, but certainly in time, poured out upon the Gentiles, Acts 11, 44. The church recognizes it in Acts 15. becomes settled doctrine that we come in the same way we're all equal because of the Spirit. Because of the Spirit. God with us. Let's think here in this text, the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Spirit is uh, going to intensify His presence with Paul to direct the ministry west 
westward. Acts 16, verses 6 to 10. Uh, Paul is in the uh, southern Galatian region. He wants to go east. But the text reads, uh, the party is prevented by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia. The Spirit closes that door. So he tries to go the other direction in Bithynia. Well, Spirit shuts this door, then I'll, I'll, I'll move in this door. And the Spirit of Jesus, verse 7, did not permit him. Luke really doesn't tell us how. Mystical working of the Spirit. Obviously, it's very intense here, but it's the same Spirit in our lives who indwells within us. It's attesting to the divinity and sovereignty of the Spirit and blocking their movement to get them to Troas in a very intensified... I'm not not dismissing that. uh, But nonetheless, common to us all. It's always been present in moving the, uh, moving the ministry. Now he explicitly imposes his will and timing. Very instrumental, you understand, it's timing. Eventually, Paul will go to Asia, Acts 19. Not this time. This time it's going to be uh, different. Doesn't want him to go to Asia. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. He's, he's closer. I mean, what's the deal? I mean, uh, you know, efficiency. Uh, uh, you know, some engineers doing a time and motion study. I mean, why? Well, that's not the point. The point is the Spirit is sovereign. His time is now to go to the Occident or to go west. To go west. Illustration, 1 Corinthians 16.9. Paul writes, for a door for effective service is open to, uh, to me. God is simply opening door at this particular time. I don't know if you recall that text, but it ends with the phrase, um, and there are many adversaries. In the end time tribulation, there are many adversaries. You're going to see them all of your life in different venues, different intensified forms. Who knows what the future holds? The Spirit holds us. That's the greater reality. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, Now when I came to Troas for the Gospel of Christ, when a door was opened to me in the, in the Lord, So God shuts a door. Uh, Paul's movements, direction, and opens another one to go west. So Paul has a vision, uh, a man saying, come to Macedonia and help us. That vision is that door. I would remind you that uh, uh, in these last days which we are in, God has spoken to us in His Son. Uh, Visionary uh, activities uh, certainly is an expression before the completion of the New Testament canon uh, were common way for God to manifest His will. Uh, You and I have the New Testament, the Old Testament, in a canonized 
form. We have the voice of God in Scripture. And so we know the will of God. His precepts in Scripture. So, I remind you, I know it's very popular in contemporary American Christianity that uh, uh, men and women can dream dreams and have visions. Uh, it's not, not my position. He has spoken to us in His Son. Finished work. We should hear Him. So Paul concludes that God has called them to go preach the Gospel there. Again, verses 9-10. I remind you of the geographic movement. In the east, God wants him to go west. Notice the pattern. Very important. Because of all of this in terms of the divine presence of the Spirit, we're, we're to be moving. Doors open and close. God's sovereign will. We're to be moving by faith. That's what Paul is doing. Paul is moving and the Spirit acts to close the door and opens another one. Uh, very mystical event. Uh, by mystical, I don't mean magical. I just mean the sovereign Spirit is working uh, in a way that uh, was uh, heretofore not known to Paul. Uh, now it is in a vision which represents to us uh, the importance of Scripture. It's also objective. Uh, and this is very important because the apostolic pa uh, party reasons. They use their reason to determine that they're to go west. Uh, the greater reality, which is so incredible, is it's God who opens and closes the doors of life, the doors of ministry. But we use our minds. Uh, we very important uh, that we understand this. We use reason. We use logic. We look at Scripture and we make conclusions from Scripture. And then in faith we move forward. Then God will open and close by His Spirit. And think of it in this way. Uh, the words of a wise man, Proverbs 16.9. The mind of a man plans his way. But the Lord directs His steps. Incredible promise. We are not left to wander self-directed in our Christian faith. There are no chance. There's no maybes. God doesn't cross His fingers and say, I hope they get it. He directs our steps. He makes it so because He's with us. Again, Proverbs 20, 24. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. Thank God they are. Thank God for the, His eternal decrees of God, sealing us in eternity past. Dispatching His Spirit in application in time. But made certain, made certain, the decrees of God. There is a, uh, this notion of opening and closing doors to go west uh, is, I think, a conceptual allusion uh, to, uh, to Revelation chapter 3. If you have your New Testament, I encourage you to turn there. Uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. Uh, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He was holy, He was true. Now, now look at these words. 
Speaking of Christ, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. It's a reference to the sovereign majesty of Jesus Christ. The key of David uh, is an allusion to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. Uh, speaking of the, the essence of a, the role of a prime minister of uh, Israel by the name of uh, Eliakim. He had, the key, he had the key of David. He opened and he shut, but in its most intensified, radical form, it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because Christ is the greater messianic king. And he determines who does and who does not enter his kingdom. If you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, uh, you've gone through that door. And you went through that door because he holds the keys and he opened that door for you. Heretofore, it had been shut whenever you came to faith. I, you know. Uh, you weren't uh, consciously aware of what the Spirit was doing, but nonetheless, He was present because of the sovereignty of the Son of God opening the door of salvation. To others, it's closed. It's very difficult theology, but that's simply the majesty of of who Christ is, and the clear teaching of who Christ is from Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. If you're here and you don't know Christ, well, I, I guess there's no way I'll ever get in. Give in. Well, you don't know that. Because of timing. The Spirit is sovereign in timing. Uh, but if you want to know, come to Christ. Believe in Him. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Confess that He is the sovereign Lord. The only way of salvation. Believe and have faith in Him. He opens the door and no one can shut it. Incredible majesty of the eternal King. You and I struggle with that as Americans. We, you know, we think that uh, we, uh, we, we, we vote uh, our civil governors uh, into office and uh, uh, they better earn our trust and uh, maybe we'll vote for them again. Uh, but if we don't get from them what we want in life, then we'll, we'll vote them out, get someone else. It's not the way it is in heaven. He is the one who opens and closes. It's His sovereign majesty, the initiation of His power. Incredible understanding of the sovereign majesty Christ and the Spirit who executes the divine will in our hearts. So that's why we keep moving forward. We face many adversaries. We get discouraged. Maybe uh, we lose a job. Uh, maybe we have to move. Maybe we, uh, someone breaks a relationship with us. Uh, we keep moving. Why? Because we reason from the Scriptures that we're to keep moving forward. And it falls to God to open and close. And sometimes the closing of doors is very painful. I suspect you know that. But we submit ourselves to the sovereign working of God. 
and we know as the sons of God that when doors close, others will open because we are the sons of God and the divine presence is with us, never departs from us, and we will not fail. We will not be forsaken. Not because of us, but because of the grace of God and the Spirit. Um, it's really true in our daily, our daily lives. You're thinking, well, um, I get that in Acts. They're ministering, uh, planting churches. Uh, and I understand that, but uh, I'm a butcher and a baker and a candlestick maker. No, you're a believer priest. Regardless of your vocation, you're a priest of God. You represent His presence wherever you work, wherever you are, wherever you live. You are a priest of God. And the Spirit of God is with you. There's nothing secular about your life. Do not bifurcate it in that way. It's a failure, I think, mentally of, of many people. Every day we're to, we're to witness in our, in our work, representing, uh, doing the best job that we can as an expression that we're the priests of God. And God will open and close as He sovereignly wills. And uh, here it occurs in this intensified form, Apostle Paul, but it occurs in our lives as we keep moving forward by the presence of the Spirit. And the Spirit acts upon us to lead us in the way. Like Paul, we're not left to wander self-directed. Uh, think of it in the children of Israel. The uh, pillar of fire led them uh, at night. And the pillar of cloud led them a day. Um, The Spirit comes to us, leading us in the way. The way He was Christ. Christ is the door. John chapter 10. We're on the end time journey. The Spirit is leading us in our journey to heaven. We will pass through the portals of heavenly glory uh, by the Spirit. By the Spirit. His presence with us. Uh, uh, the Spirit engages us all along the way. Because we're the sons of God. He sovereignly initiates it in the new birth. John 3, He comes to lead us. Uh, turn, turn back with me or forward with me if you would to Romans, Romans chapter 8. One of the decisive chapters of this theology. We know we have the Spirit if we have believed in Christ, but uh, what about the future? Uh, well, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Let me reverse that. All of the sons of God are being led by the Spirit. If you have the Son, you have the Spirit. You don't get one and then some other time in the future. You get the other. You get them both. The leading of the Spirit. By the way, the leading of the Spirit in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14 is in the present tense. A timeless fact of our lives. It's also in the passive voice, meaning that the Spirit is acting upon us. I understand it's mystical in our lives. We don't wake up some morning and feel the presence of the Spirit. We simply move forward by faith, recognizing who we are as the sons of God, the priests of God, the temple of God, 
We simply know factually that the Spirit is with us, who is opening and closing. It's an illustration, again, of the covenantal promises uh, that He will be with us even to the end of the age. And notice the connection is to sons. These are the sons of God. It's a definition really implicitly of sonship. All of the sons of God are being led by the Spirit. What a great, great promise. That's why I say we're not left to wander self-directed. Thank God. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, this verb is used of God leading Israel in the wilderness. Uh, let's repair here quickly. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15. Same verb. He led you to the great and terrible witness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there's no water. He brought water for you out of the rock, the flint. Deuteronomy 29, verse 5, And I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. By the way, by application, your, your salvation will never wear out. It will only grow in brightness and shining because of progressive sanctification, leading of the Spirit. What a great promise. The same verb is used of Christ in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 of, of, uh, of Christ. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness. Led by the Spirit, the Son of God. You and I are the sons of God. We're led by the Spirit too. And I would remind you that sometimes life has wilderness experiences. I understand they're sometimes very difficult. and We shed tears. We break our knees. and We wonder if we should ever get up. But we must get up and move on. Why? Because we are the sons of God and the Spirit is leading us. Verb is also used in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 18 which the Spirit leads us out of the deeds of the flesh. Oh, what a battle there is. How, how can we be victorious to the flesh? The Spirit who leads us. The determined presence. Broken the bondage. Leading us as the sons of God. Uh, a synonym is, uh, is used in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in His triumph in Christ. It's the victory Roman procession. Uh, the great generals being led before Caesar with all the conquered uh, uh, serfs behind him. You and I are in that victory procession being led in triumph because of Christ. What it means to be a son of God. Um, what I'm suggesting is the same spirit that interdicts Paul will lead him to Philippi. There's going to be a dramatic event in Philippi. Future study. Uh, but the movement is, uh, has occurred. Again, the difference is simply the intensity and the special revelation is seized. Theology is the same. Sons are led. And that includes witness. We move forward and the Lord directs our steps. Uh, as the priests of God, we keep moving forward. 
the opening and closing doors falls to the sovereignty of God. There's a difference, of course, in calling and degree, but the same Spirit. Again, think of it. The Spirit called Paul and Barnabas to the first missionary journey. The Spirit's going to call Paul in the second missionary journey. Same verb is used in Acts 2.39 of you and me. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to Himself. Praise God. He called us in effectual power and now leads us in effectual power. What a dear promise. It's so special. Of course, we are being led uh, to glory. Uh, very quickly, I'm, I'm not unmindful that uh, in different theological systems, uh, this, is, uh, this is widely rejected. For example, the charismatic movement, there's a second work of grace by the Spirit. You get the Son, that's a work of grace. And then subsequent to that, uh, you get the Spirit and a second work of grace. There is no second work of grace. It's a seamless work of grace. The unity of the Trinity affecting our salvation that includes the leading of the sons of God. Begins in the new birth, but remains with us. Uh, there's a very popular notion today in evangelicalism that sanctification and perseverance are optional. Uh, no, not optional at all. That's the entire theology of the uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, really, entire New Testament for that matter. We're being led by the Spirit, intensifying His presence in our lives progressively, setting us apart for His work and service, regardless of our vocations in life. We are, we are His. And His determined presence is with us. There is the view, of course, uh, that the church dispenses the grace of the Spirit. No, no. The Spirit, Christ, dispenses the grace. There are no, no human mediators. And how can a human mediate the grace of God? We're all, we're all sinners. We're all fallen. We're all temporal beings. Always amazing to me, but certainly in Roman Catholicism, uh, the priest is uh, mediating the grace of God in the sacrament. No, the Spirit and the Son mediate the grace of God. The Spirit's a sovereign agent. And think of it in this way. What, what comfort would there be if in all of the vagaries of life, which there are many to be sure, we would, we would say, well, I, I, I guess uh, I've failed and maybe the Spirit's failed. There would be no comfort at all. Our comfort is the sovereignty of God. 
the joy of that is tr uh, transcendent. Uh, to know the Spirit's with us. And when things turn against us, we continue moving forward, trusting God. That it falls to Him to open and to close, and that is what He does. And all along the way, we are the sons of God. So we can trust God to lead us, wait upon His timing, and rejoice in the promises of Scripture. One of those great promises, uh, including uh, chapters of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 63, verse 14. Prophet speaking of the new exodus of which you and I are a part of uh, because of Christ has opened that door to us. The prophet says, So didst thou lead thy people to make for thyself a glorious name. In other words, it hinges upon the faithfulness of God and not our faithfulness. That He's going to establish uh, because of His reputation. And so He leads His people to establish His glorious uh, uh, reputation. And in the end, He will vindicate all of the sons of God. Credible promise. I love as well, it's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, speaking of Christ who will bring many sons to glory. He will bring them. The Spirit will lead them. And they will enter glory. The beauty of the grace of God. Marvelous in its excellence. We should, um, we should revel in it. You're not a Christian. The new birth is the product of the Spirit. Uh, ask Him to work. Uh, trust in Christ. Uh, but if you're a son, Christ, the eternal Son, is going by His Spirit bring many sons to everlasting, unending, glory in war without end.